Welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 42 with Mark Ciano. We talk about Bohemia, which is a brand new show that he's co-written with Opal Peachy. It opens September 10th and runs through the 27th at Cafe Nordo. You can get tickets at Brown Paper Tickets. We'll have the link in the episode description. And I had the chance to see a preview of Bohemia at the first Thursday Art Walk and there was a stunning aerial number. The music is gorgeous. And if you're, if you love Art Nouveau, if you love classical music, if you love supporting new works in theater with delicious food and gin and absinthe cocktails, I mean, the show's got everything, people. You should check it out. So enjoy episode 42 with Mark Ciano. We're sitting here in the arcade of the Grand Central Building, and I am pleased to welcome Mark Siano to the podcast. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, Katie. So you're doing some fun stuff right across the street here at Cafe Nordo, mm-hmm. an original show yes. called Bohemia. Tell me all about it. Okay, uh, let's start with the story, okay. and uh, then we'll talk about the presentation. Uh, the story concerns... Dvorak, uh, Antonin Dvorak, who was the greatest Czech composer that ever lived. Some people <laughs> might argue that, but he was definitely number one or number three okay. or two. All right. He's right up there. And uh, we fictionalized his story much in the way uh, Amadeus kind of fic- fictionalized Mozart. Right. And he has written a piece that has gotten a really bad review, and he's hit the wall creatively. And he doesn't know what to do because he's about to write his ninth symphony. And everyone knows that the ninth symphony has to be your great symphony. Right. Beethoven set the bar so high for the ninth that Dvorak is freaking out. And he's getting bad reviews and he's just in a rut. And so he turns to a bottle of absinthe. And he drinks it straight. Which if you know absinthe, you're not supposed to drink not that straight. Idea. And uh, <laughs> And he passes out and... Thus begins a dream. And in that dream, he is visited by all the great bohemian artists like Alphonse Mucha, Sarah Bernhard, uh, as well as Frederick Chopin. And Chopin is trying to teach Dvorak a different style of music, try to, like, open it up, not be so nationalistic and bombastic. Like, look at the way Chopin composes music. It's slower, it's more airy, it's more romantic. And he's trying to give... Dvorak a little bit of advice. Chopin is brought to Dvorak by the Green Fairies. And the Green Fairy is what you call absinthe. When you're drinking absinthe, you're chasing the Green Fairy, or uh, you're visiting the Green Fairy, or you're having an affair with the Green Fairy. So the Green Fairies bring Dvorak Chopin in an effort to try and teach him to loosen up his music, loosen up his life, maybe become more of a bohemian. Uh, and another one of the big arguments besides the creating of the music but is what is a bohemian? And someone like Chopin, who never lived in Bohemia, but he was a, a French artist who was dying of consumption and you know had, had a, an affair with a famous uh, novelist who dressed as a man. Like, that's a perfect bohemian in many people's right. eyes. But he wasn't actually from Bohemia. Whereas Dvorak is from Bohemia. He is a bohemian. And it drives ah. him nuts that these Parisians, you know, who are basically layabouts and artists and druggies and alcoholics, are true bohemians. So that's what the story's about. Yeah. 
where did this idea come from? Uh, I visited uh, Prague last year with Opal Peachy. The two of us took a little vacation to Italy, and uh, we had a few days at the end of our vacation to do whatever we wanted. And she knew that I was a huge Art Nouveau fan and a MUCA fan, and she's like, I have to take you to Prague. Let's go to Prague. And when we got to Prague... The wheels started to turn that we needed to do a Prague show, an absence show, a show that was all about Art Nouveau and, and classical music. And, and uh, we kept running into statues of Dvorak, and, and I was like, I really like his music. Let's explore his story a little yeah. bit. So that's where that came from, yeah. So once you get that spark, how do you, how do you sort of set, set to building the pieces of the show? Like, what is the timeline and... How, when you start bringing other people in, and since you, I mean, was there a parallel to how you built Seattle Vice? Like the terms of, is there a formula, or are you sort of fast and loose and bring cool people in and make it happen? Uh, the show got pushed back a couple times. So as far as timeline, I, it was blown up uh, very early. This was supposed to be a Valentine's Day show. Okay. Uh, so. That didn't happen. Uh, Cafe Nordo had a little bit of trouble opening right. um, uh, as they had planned, but now we got bumped back to September, and I'm pretty excited about a September run. We get more performances, and uh, you know, I think we we have a good chance to capture a lot of people's attention at the end of summer too. So, um, but as far as my process as to when I start bringing people in is. When I run into someone I like, <laughs> which is pretty fast and loose, you know, but I love someone like Ron Darling and I'll see him at a party and I'll be like, Ron, I got to tell you about this Bohemia idea. I tell him he gets excited and he's on board and, you know, just start building like that. And uh, the more I can do in person, the better. I like talking to people about the show in person because you're able to share that enthusiasm with them and tell them a little bit more about what the whole show is about instead of just an email where you're trying to kind of gauge what's going to happen, what your role's going to be. Uh, when you sit down and talk with someone, it's much easier. Absolutely. You did hold auditions, right? Yes. To sort of supplement. So when you go into the, those auditions, what are you looking for in performers? Uh, well, for this show, we were looking for triple threats, for sure. We needed uh, people that could sing, dance, and act, and hopefully have some serving skills, too. With Cafe Nordo, you're oftentimes doing a little bit of performance and a little bit of serving. Uh, so the, the three people that were cast as the three main green fairies all had pretty significant backgrounds in serving, in dance, in music, could sing... Um, and so that's what we were looking for them for that. Uh, for Sarah Bernhard, we, we wanted an actor who could play a role that, that is that big. You know, can you play the greatest actress who ever lived? Ever lived, yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I think with Cherry Manhattan, who has a great theatrical background and definitely, yeah. uh, you know, she's also a teacher at Cornish and, and has a, a lot of acting chops as well as does a fantastic very theatrical burlesque performances. She was perfect for that as well. Tell me about the rest of the cast. Uh, the rest of the cast, we have uh, Heisem Gouli. I'm not always sure if I'm saying his last name properly. <laughs> I, he always gives me a look like, uh, nah, Close, not, quite. not quite. Um, 
but Heisum is uh, someone that I worked with on Seattle Vice. He played right. most notoriously the naked guy. Um, and he also played uh, one of the Tacoma gangsters. And I just, I love his energy. He's got great comic timing. It's just a, a really, really strong performer. And he can dance. And he's, he's a bit of a strong man, too. He's a really big buff great. guy who can, great. like, lift a ferry in the air, which we need a number of times. Um, so he is doubling up as both uh, the great artist Alphonse Mucha. And he is playing one of the fairies. His fairy name is Malabron. And Malabron was a fairy who defied the great Oberon. When Oberon told him to get out of here and turn into Leviathan, Malabron was like, no, I'm staying here, and I'm hanging out with these fairies. So I thought that would be a good role. Saucy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, of course, Opal Peachy is the co-creator. She is playing Chopin in this show. So this is the photos look. She looks stunning in those photos. Oh, I'm glad you like them. Yeah, she was a little. She was a little nervous. She's like, man, I'm gonna put all these photos out of me dressed up as a man, and I hope people don't make fun of me. And people love them. Well, um, especially the one with her cackling with that wide laugh. Yeah, it just, it's just. It makes me want to come see the show. Which oh, is- good, good. So she's playing uh, Chopin, and she will actually be playing some Chopin on the piano as well. Oh, so she. Uh, she will be playing the ghost of Chopin. Chopin and Dvorak didn't actually exist at the same time. Uh, The romantic era that Chopin was a big part of uh, happened about 40 years before Dvorak hit his prime. Um, So it's it's a little bit of a... Christmas Carol kind of story. Love it's it. then instead of getting visited by ghosts of Christmas past, you get visited by famous bohemian artists who help you write your symphony. <laughs> so, uh, so Opal Peachy and uh, so the three green fairies are Jen Flood, and she'll be playing Faye. And Jen Flood, uh, I've known for years. She works at the Fifth Avenue in their marketing department. We'd seen each other at a number of uh, parties and events when ACT and Fifth Avenue would collaborate. And everyone had said she was this great dancer, but I hadn't seen her perform. And then she auditioned and blew us away. Just one of the best dancers I've ever seen in an audition. And, uh, And she's got a good singing voice and is a good actress as well. And so I'm really digging her. Uh, Isabella Bloom comes to us from the uh, burlesque side of the tracks, but she also has some serious musical theater chops. She definitely was a a theater person uh, prior to coming to Seattle, but then really kind of doubled down on burlesque here in town. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, she's she's got a fantastic voice and is a great dancer and a great actress as well. And then Catherine Reed, this is my second time working with Catherine, and she was in Seattle Vice and played Dixie, and uh, she's got some serious physical clowning skills. Her audition blew us away because we, we had everyone enter the room, and she entered the room and fell down the stairs and hit the wall and then bounced back. It was hilarious. And uh, so, and she's a great dancer as well. It has has a lot of... Uh, Kind of aerial and burlesque skills to go as to go with that as well, and is a great singer and just a, a fun person all around. Cherry Manhattan is playing Sarah Bernhard uh, and is doing a wonderful job of it. And and then there's me and I'm playing Dvorak, so I'm <laughs> playing the title character uh, and 
I am trying to make this character uh, a little bit like my own life. I feel like I'm always frustrated with creating art and <laughs> like, what is that thing that's going to get me to that next level of inspiration? Right. You know, is it at the bottom of a bottle? Is it is it like being uh, being a bohemian? You know, being kind of uh, in love with life and nature and all those type of things? Is it or is it really about study and, and sitting down and learning your craft? And I think it's a little bit of all of those things, and that's yeah. what this show's about too. So, tell me about the costumes are stunning. Oh yeah. Tell me uh, what was that process of uh, creating, especially the fairy costumes, because they're just otherworldly. Just Montana beautiful. Tippett is our uh, costume designer, and uh, we're really excited to have her because she had to leave the game for a little while um, as she had some health problems, and now she's back into theater. Uh, and I'm really excited. She's doing the costumes for our show and is, is just a really brilliant, talented person uh, as far as being a designer. She designs sets as well and costumes and, and is a great illustrator. And uh, we just looked at pieces from the era and looked at a lot of Mooka paintings and looked at a lot of like old... Art Nouveau pieces as well as historical pictures of the Green Fairy right. from 1890s. And we just wanted those headdresses. Those headdresses to be yeah. ornate and beautiful and wonderful and large and, and kind of kind of feminine but striking. And uh, so that's, that's where the idea for that came from. Um, but yeah, Montana is basically making us look good. She, she's really <laughs> super talented. And uh, I can't wait to see what she comes up with for the final Green Fairies. I mean, we pieced uh, a lot of those fairy costumes for the photo right. shoot based on stuff we already had. Stuff uh, She created those headdresses, which were kind of what wow. yeah. blew up that photo shoot for sure. Um, and we'll be using some of those for the show. But a lot of it was also... You know, uh, Isabella Bloom, for example, already had a Green Fairy act that she did a few years ago. Wow. So she brought back some of those costumes. Right. Yeah. Um, and when I announced auditions, I think she was the first person that contacted me <laughs> and was was like, oh, my God, this is everything I've ever yes. wanted to do. I love Art Nouveau. I love Green Fairies. I love Absinthe. I lived in Paris. So, pick me, pick me, pick me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and enthusiasm goes a long way, for sure. I mean, when people say they want to uh, work with me on shows and stuff like that, I feel like if they already have a knowledge of, of what we're working on or have seen one of our shows or uh, just get excited by our subject matter or, or who's working on it and what it looks like in the photos, then I usually want to find a way to work them into the show, even right. if, if they don't necessarily get cast uh, you know, sometimes there's opportunities to be a volunteer or front of house or, you know, uh, maybe come help me paint the set next week. <laughs> Anyone? Hello? I need help. Um. That's, that's awesome. So what, what is the rehearsal process like for you? Is it generative or do you come in with the script done and done? And or is there some opportunity for play and growth? Uh, the script is done by the first rehearsal. And it changes. We have we probably do a new draft every week oh, or so okay. uh, because we start adding jokes, start improvising around m moments. I mean, you can kind of tell where two artists are in a scene and they're really enjoying this moment and they're coming up with good bits. So you take those bits and start to incorporate them into right. the actual script. Uh, and I try to keep it pretty tight just so we don't have to throw off our 
<laughs> the people who are working the tech, who right. are calling the queues, are like, this moment is going on for a very long time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's definitely a, a generative element to it. Uh, we, we finish the script once we've cast the people. The, the script is about halfway to three-fourths done when we start auditions. And then once we know, okay, we've got Cherry Manhattan. We know she does this well. Right. Let's give her some diva moments. Let's give her a monologue. And we know that Heisem has great comic timing and can really bring a, a fun element to a monologue. Let's give him a little bit more breathing room. Let's give him a couple jokes at the end of that monologue. Um, and, you know, we know Catherine uh, is really great with one-offs and funny in-between one-liners. She's the kind of uh, girl that comes on, gets a quick laugh, and then is right off right. and switching costumes into a new thing. So uh, we we create a little bit of the script to, to match the cast, if you would. Can you talk a little bit about writing with someone as opposed to writing by yourself? What's the writing process like? I almost always have a writing partner. So as far as writing by myself, doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I won't lie. Um, because I am a, I'm a man who has a lot of ambition, but not a lot of self-discipline. <laughs> as far as just sitting down and finishing something. Right. Uh, like a script, something along those lines. I feel that it's very difficult for me to sit down and concentrate on a script all alone by myself right. in a dark room. I can write songs. Really yeah. I can write songs for days. Uh, and I'm I'm used to writing music uh, by myself and writing lyrics and chords and uh, and different musical compositions by myself. To me that that seems a little easier because I can record it and listen to it and be like, oh, the bridge is weird. <laughs> and it's finite, right? It's like three to five minutes. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. it has a nice little container to it. For sure. But as far as writing a full piece, I almost always grab a partner because uh, it, it just helps me get it done. Uh, I, bef before I started working with Opal Peachy, I worked in concert with Jeannie Lee, who helped me write all the old soft rock shows that I did about four or five years ago. And uh, she's still someone I, I go to as a mentor. Um, her and I ended up working together at an OBGYN clinic of all places. They sat us down next to each other. And she's like, I was a drama major. I'm like, I was a drama major. Let's create some theater. And uh, that's kind of where it went from there. Uh, so I always have a partner. I, I, I'm not sure if I could write an entire script all by myself. I, I probably could. I, I motivate myself based on the fact that I know people will be there to see it and judge me, and so that knowing that your ass. Yeah. that lights a fire under my ass and get, you know helps me get it done for sure. about the food that people are going to the food and the drink that people are going to be enjoying because Nordo is all about this whole experience for all the senses right sure so uh, seduce us with the food that's going to be happening there's oh. going to be sexy people we know that let's do seduction and then I'll, I'll tell you the, <laughs> the exact details if I will alright so 
If you get the VIP service, what you get is a, an aperitivo that is laid out on stage at the beginning of the evening. So when you walk in, there are little hors d'oeuvres, olives, tomatoes, all kinds of dainty little bites that you can take uh, and, and mingle about and listen to some music. And so that'll be the first part. It's hors d'oeuvres or aperitivo, as it's sometimes called. Uh, the first drink will be a spritz, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of wine with uh, some bubbly water, some bitters and, and spirits as well, and that will be kind of a the first palate cleanser, if you will. Right. And that that drink uh, will come as you enter, and then we start the show. And our first break, we are the first act is only about twenty minutes long, and then our first break is the absinthe. Uh, and yes. so, I know I'm excited for it. Uh, we're we're serving a drink, an absinthe cocktail, which I think is probably one of my favorite cocktails ever, which is called the Corpse Reviver Number Two, oh which gosh. concerns uh, gin and absinthe and uh, I don't remember. Oh no, <laughs> it concerns. It, it had me at gin and absinthe. Gin. It's a. It's a gin-based cocktail, but the absinthe really gives it the kick. Um, and it's kind of a milky, white, ghosty drink. It's a corpse reviver. Uh, and I thought that was perfect since we're kind of bringing Chopin back from the dead yeah. to, uh, to inspire us, if you, if you will. Uh, you also have the option of doing the absinthe in the traditional straight fashion. I mean, you never really have it straight, but where you drip the water over the uh, sugar cubes as right. well. You can do it that way. That's a little stronger, and we don't necessarily recommend it for everybody. That's just if you're really hardcore about your absinthe. Right. Um, and so there's that option. And then, then we go back to the play, and we do the sh- more of the show, and then there's a second break, and the second break is the goulash for the new world. And uh, it's, it's, it's a goulash, a, a traditional Czech meal created by Mark Wissing. He is our, he is our executive chef for this show. And he is creating a goulash based on his mom's, uh, his grandmother's old recipe. And she was, uh, you know, she was a Prussian, uh, you know, possible Czech, Slovak, you know, that era. Okay. Uh, my family also uh, was, is of Prussian descent. And, you know, you can't really pinpoint it as being Czech or necessarily Polish or Slovak. Because they were Mennonites and they were just always running. And then they came to Canada. But... Anyways, <laughs> that side, that aside, Mark, uh, ha, you know, his family is from that area, and uh, he's creating us a, a, a goulash for the new world uh, that will be presented as the dinner, and that will be the kind of the big, big meal that goes with it. So it's uh, two drinks and two courses if you get VIP. Uh, if you get just the dinner service, then you get that uh, the wine cocktail at the beginning, and the goulash for the new world. There's also an option if you don't want to buy the food and all that. Uh, it's just $25 for the show only. But you can always buy drinks and snacks will be available. Uh, that's what happens with a lot of people. I think they see the sticker pr- sticker price and they're like, ah, I don't know if I want to spend that money. And then they end up showing up and spending about that much money. So <laughs> it's pretty cheap as far as a night out goes. I know Absolutely, a lot of people yeah. get scared by some of Cafe Nordo's prices. They see like, oh, an $80 ticket price. I'm like, I'm giving you absinthe, a wine cocktail, aperitivo, goulash for the new world, and a show that includes Ariel and et cetera, et cetera. It's really an experience. Yes. 
Oh my goodness. You know what I just realized? What? I forgot to tell you about one person in our cast. Tell me now. Well, she is kind of the the the, the jewel of the entire show, if you will. So you uh, save the best for last. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, <laughs> she's she's I I kind of forgot about her cuz she's operating at another level. Um and her name is Tanya Bernot and she is an aerialist who is just a tremendously gifted, talented, and skilled artist. Is she the one who did the site-specific She just did the piece that was over the Duwamish River. Oh, my God. Did you see that with the crane? I wanted to. I I didn't. I heard people talking so so enthusiastically about it. Yeah. Yeah, she walked on water. She flew around the air. It was so beautiful. Uh, it was it was really a, a tremendous piece, and we worked with Tanya on Seattle Vice um, because we wanted to have a pole number since it was set in an underground strip club, and she took pole number to another level, just doing amazing acrobatic feats on a pole, and this, so she'll be doing two pieces in our show, uh, which is one silk number and then one hoop number. Uh, and they're kind of integrated into the show as well. And she's playing the part of Camille, as in uh, La Dame aux Camélia. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the, the great bohemian story of the woman dying of consumption with two lovers. You know, you've seen it at <laughs> Moulin Rouge, right? La Boheme. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's right. kind of a, it's a reoccurring story in the bohemian tradition. Exciting. Yeah. So Tanya Bernot is, is a big part of it. Can you talk a little bit about... When you have the chef for the specific show, how much conversation do you have with him? Is it collaborative, or he sees your script and he sort of goes from there? What's that process like? We sit down and talk about, here's what the show's going to look like. What kind of food do we want to do? What do we want the food to look like? How are we going to make people happy? How, how is it going to integrate into the show? So... We love the idea of doing a goulash because his grandmother already had a recipe. Um, you know, he's a very talented chef on his own. He just left uh, the Odd Fellows Cafe up on, on Capitol Hill oh, wow. and now works for Nordo. And uh, and he, he just wanted something that he could also kind of knock out of the park. Right. And we wanted a dish that when it, when it comes out and sits down in front of you, you're like, wow, I got a hell of a dish there. And a goulash will do that. You know, anytime you see like a lot of meat... In a dish, you know, and some biscuits. Like, you get really excited. Yes. Some dumplings. You know. So, uh, that's how we did that. And as far as the, the aperitivo, we're just kind of looking for what's going to be beautiful. What's going to look really wonderful. What isn't going to uh, break our budget. You know, <laughs> we're, we're not going to do saffron risotto or something like that. Right. But, uh, um, so, for the aperitivo, we just wanted to make it look really glorious when people came out Absolutely. and with the drinks we're we're uh we wanted to do a classic cocktail one that involved absinthe um and the corpse survivor number two just had the perfect taste the perfect palate goes really well with uh with a with some with a big hearty meal like a goulash and um as the spritz is kind of is almost a nordo tradition almost every time you go to a nordo show they, they have a little bit of bubbly for you at the start of the night, which is kind of a nice way to start your night. Like, welcome to our show. Here's your bubbly. Um, so that's how that came about. So 
excited to see the show. I want it to be now. <laughs> but it's not now. It opens September 10th. That's right. It runs through the 27th. And where's the best place for people to get tickets? Because they're going to want to get tickets ahead of time. Because these, your shows, your shows, they just get so popular. There's uh, a buzz around the town and the seats are packed. It, it looks good. The sales look good at this point. Um, I don't think it'll sell the way Seattle Vice did, per se. Uh, that was like sold out three weeks in advance. But uh, brown paper tickets is where you get it. Uh, it's we're not the easiest thing in the world to Google because if you Google Bohemia, you get a lot of results. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, just go to Brown Paper Tickets and type in Bohemia. You'll find us right away. Uh, that's where you get tickets. Our short link for those of you who are really paying attention is www.bit/ly.bohemiatix. T-I-X. That's probably too much. That's okay. We'll put it. We'll put all of it in the episode description. Okay. I want to get uh, if you're game. I want to get into a little bit of your origin story as an sure, artist because sure. I, you're just such a mover and a shaker. You get shit done. You have an idea, and then later in the year, it's happening, and people are coming to see it. Mm-hmm. And was there a moment like growing up where I mean, were you putting shows on in your backyard? Where did your love of performance originally come from? <laughs> I was choreographing trampoline numbers with my cousins <laughs> when I was a kid. I'd be like, we'd play some Pink Floyd really loudly, and I would tell my cousin, this is where you make your entrance. I'd tell my sister that when you hear the plane crash, you jump off and crash into... So, as a kid, I was bossing people around and telling them how how we were going to make shows. Uh, my, I think <laughs> how it came about in Seattle was that uh, I went off to the University of Illinois to an acting conservatory, and I quickly figured out that it wasn't really acting that I loved the most. It was it was the creating of a show, like coming up with a crazy idea in your head and then bringing it to fruition. And uh, so I transferred out of there because it was just a little too rigid. You know, it was actor right. training, as it should be. And... Uh, and I transferred to the University of Washington, which was kind of the Wild West. There wasn't a really big, strong program for undergrads. Uh, but there was a space, the cabaret, ah, at, at yeah. Hutchinson Hall, that was pretty much wide open and no one was using it. And I immediately went to work. I'm like, I'm going to create this show, I'm going to make this show, and we're going to do Theater Dangerously, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to start a comedy troupe. And so I really became adept at creating and producing shows. Uh, so, and then when I left the University of Washington, I did sketch comedy with the troupe The Habit, right. also produced some original musicals, uh, and created, you know, new works based on whatever was, you know, popping out of my head at that moment, whatever was inspiring me. So, uh, that's, that's about where it came about. Uh, as far as uh, how I got to here right now, uh, I, I gave up for a little while. I kind of lost. I, I lost the passion. I, I, I moved down to Los Angeles with the boys from The Habit. We were trying to pitch HBO and Comedy Central, and you know, trying to make a go of it. Right. We thought after Dave Chappelle got millions and millions, we're like, surely someone's going to throw us something, right? And uh, and I, I I gave up. I just kind of lost the passion. And then when I came back, I. Uh, got roped into some cabaret show that I had to throw together in a couple weeks and we did a funny little soft rock number in the middle of it and someone's like that soft rock stuff was really funny and 
they're like, you should do a whole show. And I'd be like, you mean like my soft rock spectacular? And they'd be like, I would come and see a soft rock spectacular. And then I did that for like the next three or four years. And that's where I started to build up all the, the press contacts, all the producer contacts, got to know all the different theaters in town. And uh, I got... I got good at the, the PR and the self-marketing, and that's how I got the job at Act Theater. Um, and, you know, I stopped doing the soft rock about five years ago, um, but, you know, still exploring new plays and new musicals and new cabarets. Uh, so, yeah, that's how we got here. Fantastic. I look at artists like you and, like, Rachel Del Mar, and do you feel that there's sort of a trend where there's sort of the necessity for theater artists to have that nimbleness in, I mean, obviously we all are like, come see our show, but, you know, taking it to the next level and being sort of that marketing piece, I feel is so like people are just incorporating that into their artistry more and more. What is yeah. that relationship like for you between the performing and the marketing and yeah, I mean, does one feed the other? And Yeah, definitely. Without question. Um, and I, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it. Like, if if I've got an idea and it it it's half of it's like, are people going to want to see this? Am I going to want to see this? Right. Is this something I can get people excited about? Um, John Lang said, "Act used to make fun of me. He's like, Mark's got his PR laid out before he even has any idea what the <laughs> script's going to be. Um, and you know, I I know that something like Seattle Vice will sell really well uh, because. The content, the title, the the style. I know that's going to be a hit. So I feel really confident about putting thousands of dollars behind producing it and making it happen. Um, with something like Bohemia, it's a little bit more of a risk because I don't know how much people like classical music. Half, Just about everyone I know has no idea who Dvorak is. Half of them don't know who Mucha is. And a lot of people don't even know who Chopin is. And I feel like I... I want very much to educate people. So that, uh, I love Art Nouveau and I love this, this era in particular. And I feel like every three years I have to do a new Nouveau show, something around that Art Nouveau theme to remind people that this is actually the core of my passion, is this, is this style in particular. Uh, because, you know, you probably don't remember what I was doing three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. And that's fine, but now I'm like, all right, it's time for another new vote show. Um, so with this, I was like, okay, Green Fairies, Absinthe, Prague, it's going to appeal to a much smaller group than it ever would with something like Seattle Vice. So it's probably a better idea to do it in a smaller theater. Um, but, you know, make the marketing beautiful. Make it... You know, show people why you love Nouveau so much. It's why these posters look cool. Why the photos look cool is because, you know, that's the style I love the most, and I'm really passionate about it. And I think it shows in our marketing, in in our look. Um, so, the other thing about you were asking, kind of, where does the nimbleness of being both the producer yeah. and the promoter come about? Is that I feel like your reputation is based. Almost solely on what the marketing looks like, you know. It's true. Tens of thousands of people, maybe even hundreds of thousands, probably not, but will see these photos. Little more than a thousand people will actually see the show. 
So my reputation is going to be based on how good these photos look and how, how cool the show sounds and how interesting a project it is. Uh, a lot of people I meet in the Seattle theater scene, they've, they've, they know me, they, they think I'm interesting or something, and it's all, they've never seen a single one of my shows. But they've seen the photos, so they think it must be great. Um, so you have to keep in mind that the, the marketing material that, that goes with what you create really creates your reputation um, as an artist. So I think that's really important. Do you dig into your um, connection with art? Why does Art Nouveau turn you on so arti- you know, artistically? Like, what is it... Like, I want to dig deeper into that, because that's sort of fascinating. Too. Sure. So I have a... a um, I'm very much a nature lover, and I have a very... I don't, for lack of a better word, uh, feminine side. Uh, you know, I was I was raised primarily by my mom, who, who loved arts and Shakespeare, and, uh, and I lived with my mom and sister for most of my life. And I, I often feel more comfortable in, in, in the presence of women than I do in men. Um, and I love stuff that is almost traditionally feminine. And I find nothing more traditionally feminine than Art Nouveau, even though the, probably the greatest artist of that era is Mooka. But his, his artwork is undeniably, you know, maybe traditionally feminine. And I, I don't know. It's just... it's. It's something I, I just love and adore so much. I love the stylized uh, representations of nature. Uh, I, you know, yeah. I, I love flowers and I love trees and I, I love nature and fairies and, and bumblebees and, <laughs> and all, you know, all the winged creatures, butterflies, what have you. And Nouveau takes them and stylizes them even a little bit more makes them a little mystical a little bit mysterious uh and i i love the the form of the lines and the borders i love a good a good photo that has a really good border or a really good frame i think the way you frame things can often uh you know frame the emotion that goes with it and one of the things nouveau did so great was conveyed an emotion just through its framework and the other thing that's wonderful about Nouveau is it's a great mix of art and marketing uh, you know that kind of, that I mean you want to buy absinthe because that poster looks fucking beautiful right and you want you you know you want to smoke those cigarettes yeah that poster looks tremendous yes I want to go see Sarah Bernhardt's plays Absolutely. I can't wait to see her play Hamlet. Look at that poster. That's the thing. How many people ever saw Sarah Bernhardt play Hamlet? I didn't know that until just now. But we've she all seen that poster. Role. She played the titular role. Wow. Yeah. That's one of the scenes in our play is she's modeling for Hamlet. Wow. Um, but she's, she's convinced that she should show more skin because that will sell more tickets. And Mooka's like, you're playing Hamlet. How are we going to show any skin? <laughs> and they have a little fight over that. So it's, it's a fun scene. And it's a fun uh, juxtaposition of where, where does, uh, you know, a marketing material meet art. And, you know, I wanted my, I wanted my posters and my flyers and postcards, etc. to look like little pieces of art. Uh, you know, kind of in the way that Mooka used to. Well, I think he succeeded. They, 
I'm just like, every time more marketing stuff for Bohemia comes up on Facebook, I'm like, got to stop everything. Got to check <laughs> it out right now. What's next. on your bucket list as an artist? What's next? What's next? I mean, like, what's uh, next that has some legs or are just ideas or things? What's what's knocking around that head of yours? Well, I have I have to admit that I don't know what my next big project, new project's going to be yet. Uh, lots of times it just hits me straight in the forehead. Like, I go to Prague and I'm like, I must make a show this about Prague. Um but no, next on the on the thing is, and I think it's okay to say this now, but I haven't been talking about it too much. But we're going to remount Seattle Vice, and we're going to do oh, it at the Triple Door. Yeah, wow. and we, we've got a big show planned there. We've got two weekends, ten performances, more than I've ever done, and this is going to be the biggest show I've ever done by far. So it's the biggest, most ambitious. It's going to be like Seattle Vice was last time, but a little bit more of a concert version. A little less play and a little bit more razzle-dazzle, if you will. <laughs> more musical numbers, more dance. It's hard to, to really get across a good, strong comedy scene at the Triple Door because people are drinking and they're having a good time right. and they, don't, they maybe miss the setup and there's the punchline and aw, shit. Only three-fourths of the audience got that. But uh, I do love the Triple Door and they have the best sound system. So I'm pretty excited about playing there and singing there and uh, doing Seattle Vice for a new crowd. So that happens in January. Oh, I haven't been talking about it much because Bohemia, Bohemia, Bohemia. Bohemia, I, Bohemia. Because I know people love Seattle Vice, and uh, if we started talking about it now, I wouldn't be able to talk about Bohemia. So, yeah, that's that's what's next. Um, I'm also in the new Cafe Nordo show after this one. There, It's a remount of Sauced. Uh, and oh. Billy Wildrick's in it, and Ray Tagavia, and Opal Peachy. Oh, wow. And uh, we're, we're even going to have uh, Richard Sloniker in for a couple weekends as well. Um, so I'm really excited about that. It's uh, film noir, set in the 1930s. Nice. Speakeasy. It's all about drinks and the, the origin story of the American cocktail. So that's going to be a Nordo show, and I'm going to be in that. So I'm really busy. Uh, I imagine the inspiration will slap me in the forehead again. Sometime <laughs> soon, uh, but as far as you know, the next great piece, I don't know. I want to do something where I stick a bunch of people on a boat and take them out to an island, and then that island is haunted. That sounds amazing, right? Do like uh, use Rachmaninoff's Isle of the Dead music, you know, about a trip to across the river sticks, you know, to the Isle of the Dead. I always wanted to do that. I don't know when I'm going to do that. I need a lot of funding. <laughs> Carlo, are you listening? <laughs> I'm over here. <laughs> As we sort of wrap this, wrap this up a little bit, I like to ask guests what, what advice they would give aspiring artists to do what they do. So <laughs> if someone has an idea, they want to make a show, they want it to be brand spanking new, maybe in another time period, what What's the Marciano, like, guide to success? What, what advice would you give? Book a good space first. <laughs> Get your space set. Know exactly where it's going to happen and make that show beautiful for that space. Really create it around where the experience they're going to have there. I think for, for different artists, it... it, it, it they have different processes. 
But I am always inspired by the, I've got two weeks at the bathhouse. I need to make it happen there. What's going to make that show beautiful and wonderful and, and inspiring there? Um, you know, different people have different processes, so I can't, I, I don't think a lot of people do my process for sure. I mean, I think most people write a play and then they go looking for something. I find the venue first and then start creating the piece around that venue. Uh, so you can do it backwards. Also, if you have a venue and you have a space and you have a tight deadline, you've got to get it done. People are going to show up and they're going to judge you. So make sure it doesn't suck. So that would be my, my advice, I suppose. I love it. All right. So Bohemia, Cafe Nordo, uh-huh. Good Round Paper Tickets, Showruns, 10th through the 27th. Any other teasers about the show you want to give us before we Oh, man, we didn't off? even talk about all the good <laughs> stuff. Okay, so this is what the show entails, all right? We okay. have burlesque Tell numbers, me. we have aerial numbers, we have comedy, we have music by Chopin, we have music by Dvorak, we have music by me, Mark Ciano. I write music. Opal Peachy wrote some of the music. We're, I'm doing this stupid thing of putting my music right next to Chopin's. Bold. Let's bold. go bold and not stupid. Uh, okay, okay. But uh, there's... There's green fairies, there's absinthe syrup, there's short little acts, and lots of breaks and lots of time to socialize and drink and have a wonderful time at the theater. Our first half hour is almost all classical music in a salon fashion, so you can drink and listen to the music, you can have a a conversation in the back if you wanted to talk, and then we begin with a giant aerial number and a huge opera number. So Tanya Bernot flying through the air while people are singing really huge, big stuff. That's what's exciting to me. Uh, you know, the, the thing that I'm now upset that we didn't start with is that I love blending all these different genres together. That's what's exciting. Um, you know, the cabaret where there's a dance number and there's a music number or there's a comedy scene or there's uh, the creating of art live and there's there's so many different aspects of different styles of music and theater and art and we're using a lot of classical music in this which is, is not really seen a lot in the theater and I think we're making it sexy, we're making it cool, you know? Going to the concert hall and the symphony is a little stuffy for me. And, and same goes for a lot of just traditional theater and plays, just sitting in the dark and then leaving at, at the end of the show and not talking to anyone isn't necessarily the greatest of social nights out on the town. Right. I feel like this show gives you that uh, because there's so many different breaks for you to drink and talk to your friends, so many different types of acts to talk about, so many dancers and green fairies that interact with you and interesting <laughs> drinks. And So, uh, you know, it's that blending that, that Cafe Nordo loves to do of blending art with food, with drink, with uh, different formats. So that's what the show's about. I'm really excited to see it. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Theatrical Mustang! Woo!